0: and hi. Welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks and I have a special guest here today, Tangeline Bolton, who is a composer up and coming in this entertainment world of ours. Her most recent work can be heard in season two of Warrior Nun, but she has an extensive resume through Disney, Marvel and uh, other properties and we are going to chat about all of that. Hello, Tangeline.
1: Hi, Summer. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> you are so, so welcome. Warrior Nun is a a fan favorite amongst Netflix viewers. Uh, currently, it's in a save Warrior Nun sort of situation. People want a season three. Netflix is kind of not vocal about what they're doing. I'm not sure if it's been officially canceled or they're just not talking about it yet, but still, this is a show that people enjoy and you got to create the the musical sound for season two. So talk about how you came to be selected for that and some of your process on making that sound.
1: Sure. So, um I'd been connected with Netflix um, for a little while before I, I received the brief about Warrior Numb through my agent. And yeah, I pretty much like put together a reel for them. And then a little bit of time went by and then I heard that Simon liked what he heard. And if I could give um, another more catered reel um, that was kind of reflective of the tone that he would want um, for season two or at least a starting point. Uh, so what I'd done is kind of put together all my collective thoughts. And then I also threw in a couple of my own ideas in there, um, kind of how I would maybe approach season two. And luckily, Simon really resonated with what he heard. Um, we had a quick meeting and he offered me the job. And I was so grateful because I had already started um, watching season one many times before Um, I got the news and yeah, I I came on as a fan as well. So just so grateful that I got the opportunity.
0: What did you see in the episode you got to watch um, that uh, influenced the sound you wanted to create for the episodes that would be coming up?
1: Uh, well, luckily, since I had been brought on for season two pretty early, I received uh, the scripts. So I had a, a lot of the early scripts, and every once in a while, I'd be getting another email. Oh, here's here's season. I mean, here's a episode five script, and I'd be so excited every time <laughs> I, I'd receive one. And it was kind of cool too to see like you know revisions that were made, and just to be a part of that process early on was so fun and creative and sparked a lot of imagination in my mind in terms of the tone because for season two there's that kind of like looming and ominous undertone
0: for mm-hmm. Adriel
1: and and his like cult following um, the firstborn children. So there is that cult element too and I wanted to make sure uh, that we felt that throughout season two. And it's something that I could kind of carry on as a little thread um, in the background, kind of showing this this kind of ominous tone. So I use water phone for, to signify kind of some of his followers, the FBC. And I would like either play it percussively when Miguel slash Michael and the girls were like snooping around Or whenever the FBC, whenever they're just being creepy, I would have some water phone in the background. I'd either play that percussively or I would like bow it as well. And just manipulating water phone was kind of a fun texture to have in the background. So that was definitely like one one thing that I implemented.
0: Talk about some of the different instruments and techniques you use to get the sounds that you're looking for? Mm. Like if you, when you, when you, when you were reading the scripts for season two and you were watching season one, you develop the sound in your head that you thought would fit really well for what they were going to be doing for season two. What's your process of, Uh, narrowing that down, fine-tuning it?
1: Luckily for season two, since it it was a bit different in terms of tone than season one, I had a lot of creative freedom to do my own thing, which was exciting because you don't always get to do that as a composer, especially um, coming on board for like season two or, or more. So... It was fun because I got to create a lot of my own themes for characters that already existed as well as um, newer characters or situations. So a big one was just getting really into the characters as I was reading them early on um, in the scripts. So for Ava and Beatrice, that was definitely a theme that I had to create. And it was definitely something that um, Simon brought up in early conversations. Um, that he wanted to have a theme for um, Ava and Beatrice, so that was definitely something I worked on as I was reading the scripts, I'm kind of trying to put something together that reflects their love, but also um, signifies the complexity in their relationship and the complexity in their each of their own experiences, and how how can I bring those that feeling together and morph it into a love theme? So. I use strings and piano primarily for them, um, just because it felt so in- instinctual um, to, to use those instruments together. Um, and some other characters, we have Adriel's theme, uh, which I definitely, from from reading the script early on, I was like, oh, we have to do something like a virtuoso-style violin. And I remember mentioning that to Simon, and he, I'm just thankful he he was so open to like my ideas, especially before um, we had like lock picture. So I had come up with like a, a like a virtuoso style um, violin theme for Adriel to kind of signify his confidence, but in like also adding like this lingering and yearning quality. To show his like manipulation um, and what he's trying to do to his followers as well as a lot of the members of the um, OCS. So I definitely wanted um, to approach him in that way which was a lot of fun. And I had my um, amazing violinist Abby who is just so talented um, play a lot of the violin solos. So those are some some characters to start. I have so many others but um, Those two are definitely some favorite themes.
0: So when you're working with uh, other musicians who are, you know, gifted at the particular instrument or instruments that they're playing and you've said, okay, I need this person's sound here. I need to layer this other person's sound here. How do you get everyone together? Do you just individually record or take what they've recorded and then just mix it down?
1: Um, I do really love focusing a lot on working with soloists. I feel like there's something so human and raw to working really closely with them, uh, especially for for playing the main themes or uh, like melodic elements. So with Abby, I had her record at my studio and I would just have her read the sheet music and we would go through it. I made sure I just, you know, really meticulously mark all my dynamics, um, maybe write some descriptive words like yearning, lingering, um, just some descriptive words um, to describe what's going on in the scene or the specific mood I want to convey. And we would just do a bunch of takes and then I would sort of see which one was my favorite. Um, I try not to comp too many different takes together because I really like. Um, capturing that like live and raw emotion. And um, I think she did a great job of, of conveying that, especially for Adriel.
0: In this uh, post COVID uh, entertainment world, do you still get groups of musicians together to get a sound that you need or are you still working with individuals and putting them together afterwards?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a combination of both, I would say. For Warrior Nun, I focus more on like, the, the individual textures and, and kind of hand-picking different instruments um, to signify different situations or characters. Like for example, Lilith, um, I used a lyre for her, um, mm. which sounds very ancient when you're playing it, you know, like traditionally, like plucked with your fingers. But then as she starts going through her transformation, um, I start bowing it like more aggressively and just tucking it in the mix so that it's a part of the texture. Um, so things like that, I really love experimenting with playing my own instruments too. And yeah, having that kind of like intention behind the instruments um, in the scenes, it's really fun to respond like intuitively to the scenes, um, especially when it's, on an instrument that's not maybe your normal instrument to play.
0: So when you're working on creating the sound that you want for uh, a show or a movie or a video game, do you incorporate uh, any non-musical instruments to, to sort of get a tone or a sound that a musical instrument isn't quite giving you? Hmm.
1: That's a really great question. Yeah, I I love doing that. And I, I feel like a, an interesting kind of in between was the waterphone. Like yeah, it is a musical instrument, but when you bow it, um it can kind of give a more just overall sonic quality, especially when it's by itself. So like reverse waterphone was definitely something that um I would use as transitions for scenes and it's kind of cool. Um to do that, especially when you're having a transition into a new environment, because it's kind of like sculpting the scene and introducing um, a new space. And and just synthesizers in general, I love synthesizers and kind of sculpting sounds with them. I have a lot of like Moog product, like products, Moog instruments that I Mm -hmm. use as well. Um, Like the grandmother was fun for just creating just different sonic elements Um, in textures or or beds to like live live in the background, Um, as well as different different soma products. Um, um, I have this pulsar that was really awesome for for creating just different interesting drum textures. Yeah, I I love sound in general. So I I love that question too.
0: (laughs) Well, sound uh, plays a strong part in video games as well. And you've worked on several. Is there a difference in your approach to creating a a sound or a flow uh, of sound for a game than for a show or a movie?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like the game process is very different. Um, in workflow. Um, I was so fortunate to work with this amazing composer named Bobby Tahori, um, who I met at um, Hans Zimmer's studio when I had first moved out to LA. And he is such an awesome composer and person. And he's like one of the first people to give me my um, earlier opportunities out here. And in terms of games, the, the cool thing about it is you have to make sure that especially when you're doing loops um, that they're able to seamlessly, you know, loop. So the end, if there's like a reverb tail or something, it needs to seamlessly go back to the start. Um, You know, so you get that like seamless reverb tail, but that it can, it can continue to loop in a really natural way. Um, So that's fun. And especially coming up with like different, you know, Um, I did more drum programming, especially for uh, the Marvel's Avengers game that Bobby last did. So, I did a lot of like drum programming for him, and that's really fun, especially when you're doing like different levels because you have to have um, different levels of intensity uh, depending on what's going on.
0: Oh, I never thought about that because you have to change the music, you have to heighten everything. As players move up levels or move like progressively deeper into the game, that's huh. Hadn't thought about that. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, like just more combat or like a light combat. Yeah, it, everything has to be reflective of what situations the player will get themselves into or what level they're at. Um, so that's the cool thing about games. Um, they also take a really long time, so there's a ton of music that needs to be written for games. Definitely, definitely something that's. An interesting process
0: nice so you had you had fun working on marvel's avengers
1: so epic and i thought the music that bobby created was just incredible like so epic
0: and fun nice so we're going to go back and uh expand on something else you mentioned you mentioned hans zimmer who is probably one of my favorite movie composers and that's you cool. you just you got to work with him. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So I had started working at Hans at Hans's studio um right when I moved to Los Angeles. Um a good friend of mine named Tori Letzler had um so generously helped me get the chance to interview with his team. So I'd done that before moving to LA. And once I found out that I got the opportunity um, to be an intern, I was like, I have to move to LA and I'm going to start as an intern. We'll see what happens. I had big dreams. So uh, moved to LA, began interning for um, Hans and his direct team, as well as um, his whole company, Remote Control Productions, Um, early on. This was about 10 years ago. So I started off as an intern and then I eventually got hired back as like a more general um, studio assistant. And it's it's an interesting thing when you move to LA because you start off as an intern and then your internship's over and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? So I like worked for a yoga studio for a little bit, um, eventually got an opportunity to intern for Henry Jackman and his team. And then, yeah, I got the word back that um, I got offered to work as a more general studio assistant and that was an incredible period because aside from the music part, it was really interesting to kind of see um, just in general, how like the business is and how to run a business as a composer. Um, and there's a lot that goes into it and, and all the different team members um that these big time composers have in order to work on these amazing wide scope projects with huge budgets. So yeah, that was the biggest thing that I learned was what goes into the business side is equally as important as um, creating
0: amazing music. Did you get to observe him in the musical creating process? Cause I think that would just be amazing for me.
1: Yeah, so I was there when they were on Interstellar.
0: Oh, nice. I
1: I remember hearing this, like, organ, and I'm like, what is that? And this was before, you know, like, the whole phenomenon and and that the whole, like, organ element to it was just, like, everyone thought it was so incredible. So I remember one morning, I think, I was just hearing, like, organ, like an organ, a bunch of, like, arpeggiated organ stuff coming out of his room, like, and little did I know, it was for Interstellar. And I think it's such an incredible score too. There's so much like emotion behind it.
0: Yeah, it's- uh, interesting textures. Yeah, for me, that one's a little bit, I'm gonna say quieter than some of his uh, other stuff and- But it, build, thinking, it builds
1: though. Like oh, yeah. it builds to those like epic moments. But I know what you mean, there's a lot of like intimacy
0: yeah, it there it it allows you to touch the emotions a little bit sooner, I guess. Uh than yeah. than another than in other scores of his. But yeah, that just uh that that for me would be like a total, you know, soundtrack geek moment. <laughs> yeah.
1: What's your favorite Han score?
0: Um it might be Gladiator.
1: Oh, gladiator's so good. I remember one of my projects at Berkeley, um, School of Music in Boston. That's where I went um, uh, for music school. One of my assignments was to like rescore a gladiator scene.
0: Oh, no, really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it can't beat Hans at score, but I remember that was fun. And like listening to that score before attempting to uh, rescore that scene. It's so epic, but melodic. I love the melodicness to it.
0: Yeah, there's just there's just so much to that. I mean, I actually bought that on CD and used to drive around with it in my car.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I miss I miss CDs.
0: I'm old. I get to hang on to mine.
1: <laughs> I don't think you're that old. Yeah. I had CDs too, so let's not call each other old. <laughs>
0: But yeah, no that one that one uh that that CD has a few miles on it from from back in the day. Oh yeah. That yeah, that that predated. Have to re-watch yeah, it. That predated iPods.
1: Oh, iPods. I recently found some old iPods. <laughs> like I can't get rid of them. I can't get rid of the old iPods. I like need to go through some more boxes and just No, I don't think I'll part I need to nope. still have them as, as memorabilia.
0: Nope. I am not parting with uh, with my iPod. I still have an old computer that's running iTunes so I can sync music to it. And I'm not going to upgrade I miss that those iTunes. Days
1: too. I miss those days too when you could just, when things were more physical, even like physical MP3s, I feel like that was so much more of a thing and then you could do whatever you wanted with them. Yeah.
0: I miss, I I miss, I mean, the digital, everything streaming, everything, you know, you stream like Pandora or Spotify or uh, even like Sirius XM has an app. So if you have Sirius XM, you can stream it from your phone. I'm like, I don't want to use my phone while I'm listening to music. That just is counterintuitive to me. But bring back the CDs. Do, Do
1: cars even still have CD players?
0: No, they, like, don't.
1: they no,
0: don't. No, no. I've I've seen cars, vehicles that come out the past few years, they don't have CDs. They do have USB ports. So you could actually take like a thumb drive and it's put a MP3s, whole, put a whole bunch of MP3s on them, stick them in your car, and it'll play through them automatically. It's it's so weird. And it, depending yeah, on the car, the thing gets too hot, uh, I'm worried about that. I'm really concerned about that. Because if, like, if you go like on a three or four hour drive and, you know, what happens if it partially melts in that USB drive? You're, you know, you're kind of screwed. That'd be fun.
1: <laughs> I love that we still like appreciate vinyl, though. I feel like that's something that's still around.
0: I haven't seen vinyl in ages. I actually had to get rid no. of Of all my vinyl, like seven, eight years ago, because I had too many of them. They were too heavy to keep lugging around. And uh, they are heavy. I regret that. I regret giving up some of my vinyl. I do.
1: I remember this, my, again, I'm going back to Boston when I was in school. There was a record shop that had gone out of business. And they had like piles and piles of vinyl that they're just like, okay, just take it. So I remember I took like boxes and it was raining too. So I was like, I hope these are okay. But luckily they're still okay. I mean, a lot of classical stuff, which luckily I don't mind because I like classical music, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, they had to get rid of all that. Luckily, there's a music school right next door, so it was going to good good homes.
0: Nice, very nice. Yeah. Full disclosure, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I played classical guitar for like twenty years.
1: Oh, really? Wait, mm-hmm. no, wait, you did?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, classical
1: guitar, that's tough.
0: Yep. Beethoven on on a nylon string guitar lot of wow, fun you're gonna have to now. like drop
1: drop some links
0: <laughs> drop some links I don't no links of my playing this is like pre-internet pre-everything
1: <laughs> I'm sure you still have it in me though like if you played it when you're younger like you went through the whole thing classical guitar at a young age probably
0: it might be still in there
1: it's definitely still in you especially if you like grew uh, like you studied early in your life. That doesn't I just leave.
0: I did. It's in yeah, there. It's,
1: it's in there. It's definitely in there. Classical training. Old. This is no joke. So.
0: I, I had fun it. with it. I had fun with it. Everybody else was jamming out to rock and roll and I was jamming out to classical because I love yeah. the, the complexity of the finger picking. I just, I loved it. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. So. What? Yeah,
1: that's that's a tough. That's definitely a tough genre for guitar. But I feel like if you can if you can master classical guitar, like you can do any genre.
0: We shall see. So, how about you? What's your favorite instrument to play?
1: I mean, I I started on classical piano, but I played a little bit of flute when I was a kid, and guitar as well. Um, My favorite instrument would probably still have to be piano, though, just because it just it's the most intuitive instrument for me um, since it's practically in me since I started at a young age. And I do love that I can I can visually kind of imagine the whole orchestra um, in the different ranges when I look at the piano. I think that's something that's really cool. It's kind of like a visual signifier to me as I look at the keys. Um, of the different sections. So I think that's fun, too. Um, but I really like, I love experimenting with any instrument I can get my hand on. Like for Warrior None, I, I experimented with a lot. So that's, that's definitely the fun part of being a composer is like, you're a little big kid, you could just find anything and try to make music out
0: of it. So how long did it take to put together, I guess, the final sound Uh, that you came up with for Warrior None? Oh, well, I
1: would say it was it was it was pretty much an ongoing process. Um, As I was reading the script, I was kind of, you know, on my computer putting together my palette of different instruments I wanted to use. Um, I definitely wanted to combine, you know, traditional orchestra with vocals and choir with a few handpicked instruments solo violin, epic percussion, um, as well as different sonic elements. Um, but it, it came pretty naturally, I would say. And I'm again, I'm grateful to Simon that he resonated um, with the overall kind of sound I had put together and sculpted around different scenes. But of course, you know, as, as you're working on um, each episode, there's like new elements you wanna bring in, um, as you're following different character arcs, and, and as you're feeding off of um, the performances of of the different actors, um, so yeah, I, I think it's definitely something that evolves as the series goes on. And well, what's a good example? I mean, especially Lilith. For Lilith's character, um, I had only brought in the liar maybe second episode I believe it was maybe the second episode it was it was fairly early on but it was while I was working um, to picture I had brought in the liar when she goes back to visit her home and visit her mom to kind of like be reflective um, of her you know inner thoughts her experiences dealing with herself and who she wants to be and then, you know, as we progress through season two, I wanted to kind of transform the instrument a little bit, um, along with different elements. So that was definitely a choice that I made uh, later on. But things like that, you, you kind of adapt and make choices based on how you're responding and interacting with picture.
0: Nice. So are you working on anything now that you can talk about? Oh,
1: I can't quite talk. I mean, I have a Blumhouse project coming out called Unseen. Um, I believe that drops in March. Um, It's a thriller, a thriller horror. And I'm working on a show right now. I can't talk about, but I'm really excited about it. Um, And it has amazing representation um, on screen and behind screen which I'm all about. So can't wait for that to drop too in the future.
0: Talk about, uh, unseen. Do you approach, uh, sort of action like warrior nun differently than horror? Uh,
1: I mean, I can talk about, I can't get too deep in the plot cause it's mm-hmm. not out yet, no, but just... I can, in terms of horror and thriller, um, You know, I'm lucky because Warrior Nun* had a lot of those elements, too. It had kind of a horror element in some moments. You know, if if there was something really dramatic happening, sometimes I would treat the moment like how I would treat um, horror. Or, like, if something really gory or intense is happening, um, I would maybe bookend it like how I would a thriller or a horror film. I think it's all about... um, going from different levels of like silence to minimalism to building a moment or accenting certain cuts. So I think action, horror, even animation, um, they all have little parallels in that sense where you're sculpting the moments or hitting certain cuts um, to evoke a certain feeling, whether that be tension or scaring someone.
0: Well, I'm a fan of uh, the work that Blumhouse does, so I'll definitely keep an eye out for Unseen. Uh, where can where can we see Megan? Oh, I have not seen that yet, but uh, one of our guys saw it, and he was like, "This is so much fun." I, I want to see
1: Megan.
0: Uh, the 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 one trailer where she does that little dance. I couldn't stop watching that little because it was so creepy and I crazy.
1: <laughs> it's so creepy. It's <laughs> just so strange. Like I really want to see it. Um. Yeah, I gotta see it. But I, I agree with you. I love the stuff that Bloom House does too.
0: Awesome. So where where can folks find you online?
1: Uh, I'm Tangeline Bolton on pretty much all platforms. Twitter, I'm Tangeline Bolton, and Instagram, I'm Tangeline Bolton.
0: Do you uh, put up samples of stuff you're working on just for to tease Sometimes. the fans?
1: Yeah, sometimes keep, keep an eye out because they'll have some fun projects coming out in, in the future.
0: Cool. Well, we will have links to that. Have uh, people weigh in on the work that you've done and hopefully get them excited for the work you have coming down the pipe. Tangeline, thank you so much for your time and your musical insights today.
1: Thank you so much, Summer. It was so awesome being here
0: and chatting with you. And we'll be back with more Slices Sci-Fi right after this. Slice of Sci-Fi
1: Escape Pod The free science fiction podcast brought to you by Escape Artists. I rippled a welcoming cadence of light beneath my skin and then... Seeing the newcomer was human made my best approximation of a smile. Welcome to Helixer Transgalactic Lounge. Each week, one story told well. She should have never come back to this god's forsaken junk heap of a space station, but she couldn't help but miss it when she was away for too long. From the most astonishing and visionary storytellers of the genre. But because time is a trick of the mind, it can be hacked. And
0: we have gotten good at it. We had to.
1: Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on the web at escapepod.org, and on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, I'm Aaron Ashmore from Sci-Fi's Killjoys, and you're listening to Slice of Sci-Fi.
0: And you can catch Warrior Nun Season 2 over on Netflix. And we're, I think, still in the middle of a Save Warrior Nun campaign. Don't know if it's going to get picked up. Don't know if it's going to have another season added to it or a, a, a movie to wrap things up. I mean, all of those Save Lucifer campaigns worked. We got six seasons out of that when we thought we were only going to get three. So, who knows? Programming miracles may still happen. So, how about you? What are your thoughts on Warrior Nun, the show, and the music? Let me know. Give me a call. The number is 602-635-6976. Leave a voicemail message, or send an email, summer at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can also leave a comment in the discussion section on the website, sliceofsci over. or mention it on Twitter, at sliceofsci-fi. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple or Stitcher or Podchaser, please feel free to leave us a review or a rating. Let folks know you are enjoying the show and maybe they should check it out for themselves. You can help support Slice of Sci-Fi through Patreon, through PayPal, through Ko-fi. People using Patreon can be selected as winners for perks. These items are books, DVDs, Blu-rays, 4Ks, items that I have been sent for review that I just don't have the space to keep. If you want to join in On the giveaway fun, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash sliceofsci-fi. There you can pick a tier, any tier. Everyone is eligible to pick a perk. Uh, And the supporters using Ko-fi and PayPal can also be included if they so choose. Again, the links to use are patreon.com slash sliceofsci-fi, ko-fi.com slash sliceofsci-fi, and paypal.me slash sci-fi summer. Another way you can support Slice of Sci-Fi, all of the podcasts and websites here, is through SliceofSciFi.net. We have a shop, so to speak, an affiliate shop of curated items. Good stuff that me and Noah and Lewis and Cliff and Claire and sometimes uh, Nerd Soul have uh, selected as their favorites. Obscure sci-fi and horror titles that uh, you may not have heard of. So come on, check those items out and if you purchase through those links there, we get a little cake back. And it's all good. It all goes to help support the fees that keep this engine humming. And that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more Slicer Sci-Fi next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.